Good morning, Mission Road. It's a joy to be down in the adult Sunday school class this morning. Normally, my wife and I are upstairs with the middle schoolers. We have a lot of fun with them, but it's a sweet change of pace to be with adults today. Uh, so I've been listening to the, uh, the Minor Prophets series uh, throughout the week, and I think it's fitting that we can have a group of men teach the minor prophets. Twelve different prophets and twelve different times and twelve different occasions brought God's word to the people. I think it's, it brings out some of that diversity when we have different men teach different prophets. But all twelve of those prophets had the same basic message. That's to repent of your sin. Worship the Lord. So this morning we'll be studying the book of Zephaniah. The book of Zephaniah. Please turn there with me. Now, the darkest room I've ever been in is actually in a cave. A cave inside of a mountain. King's Row Cave in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. A tour guide took my wife and I there from the top of a mountain plateau into a cave that descended uh, 150 feet from the surface. We wound through this massive cave, turning left and right, and got down deep enough to the point where no natural light from the surface shone into the cave. At the end of this cave, there was a massive room, uh, possibly the size of this, this atrium or this sanctuary here, full of stalagmites and stalactites and really cool rock features. And the only light that we could see was from the lamps that the, that the adventure park had installed. At that point, the tour guide told everyone to turn off your phones, cover your watches, hide any light source that you have. And then he flipped off the lights. And instantly, we all experienced absolute darkness. Complete absence of light. There was no light anywhere. And I remember feeling this darkness was disorienting. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I couldn't see my wife a few feet to my left. My eyes strained and dilated, tried to see anything at all. There was nothing to be seen. And the tour guide let us experience this darkness for a little while and just let us marvel at there being no light whatsoever in the room. Now, normally when you're in your bedroom at night, your lights can adjust and then to the darkness, there's a little bit of light bleeding through the curtains, and you can see the dresser off in the corner, or at least the outline of it. But not here in this cave. This is the first time I experienced absolute absence of light. But then the tour guide turned the lights back on. And when the lights came back on, my eyes were sensitive. They were blinded a little bit. I wanted to, to squint and, and hide my eyes a little bit. I grew accustomed to there being no light. So I was having some light was blinding. And then when we went outside of the cave into the full noonday sun, that was, that was a lot. That was blinding. I had to squint and cover my eyes. And in the book of Zephaniah, the prophet describes the day of the Lord as the darkest day in history. There will be worldwide disaster. It will be shocking physical destruction. It's a dark day of God's wrath against sin and unbelief throughout the entire world. 
The day of the Lord is a very terrifying day of cosmic, universal judgment against sin, against anyone who pridefully rejects God and worship God's creation instead. The prophet Zephaniah spends two and a half chapters of this book describing the dark judgment that will take place on this day. And he lets us linger in the dark, like the tour guide did when I was in King's Row Cave. Let's us experience what utter darkness, what hopelessness looks like. But then at the end of the book, he takes us out of the dark cave into the blinding noonday sun. And he allows us to see God's purpose after his wrath against sin. The day of the Lord is a dark day of wrath. But when the lights come back on, those who worship God will see that it's a day of salvation. It's a day of joy. The bright and joyful nature of God's salvation is blinding. It's incredible. The prophet Zephaniah preached during the time when God saved people through the nation of Israel. Different kings ruled and led the nation at different times. But if you wanted to be one of God's people, you joined the nation Israel. In verse 1 tells us that Zephaniah preached while Josiah was king. King Josiah was one of the godliest kings, second only probably to King David. And he took the throne at age 8, yet he was still a king after God's own heart. Josiah was king of Judah when the kingdom was divided, and he ruled and, and led the nation between the years 640 and 609 B.C., And before Josiah took the throne, the northern half of Israel experienced God's wrath. And because of their sin, they were plundered. They were taken into captivity by the nation Assyria in 722 B.C. And the southern half of Israel, also called Judah, and the capital Jerusalem were still experiencing God's covenant blessings. They were still rejoicing as God's people. And that's where Zephaniah took his message to the remaining southern half of the kingdom of Israel, to Judah. Even though Judah was presently being led by a godly king, a king who impressively led the nation through a series of reforms and, and sent the nation on a righteous trajectory, Judah had been under an immoral and unrighteous a wicked king for 50 years. Judah's fate was sealed because of the depravities that the nation committed under the earlier kings, Manasseh and and Ammon. Not even a national repentance led by King Josiah would be enough to turn the wrath of God away against the sin that the nation had already committed for over half a century. And we know that Judah's time of reckoning did come. 586 B.C., Babylon took the nation into captivity. So this morning, we'll read through the whole book of Zephaniah. We'll pause when needed to emphasize and underscore the prophet's message. Then we'll look at major themes and some applications at the end. The first section of the book is about the wrathful side of the day of the Lord. That means that God will one day punish everyone for their sins if they don't repent. 
if they don't trust in God for the forgiveness of their sins. So read along with me in Zephaniah, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. And the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. And those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, and those who have turned back from following the Lord, and those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of him, be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. And I will punish on that day all who leap on the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter. And a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. You say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses, but not inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end. Indeed, a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. Pause there for a moment. At this point in Zephaniah, God is warning them that he has marked out a day where he will enact his judgment 
by pouring out his wrath against sin. It's a day of destruction. It's a day of calamity. It's distress. It's blindness. It's darkness and pain and devastation and death. And the prophet goes on. This day, this day of the Lord is near. It's not far, far away. It's not a long time after all the original recipients of Zephaniah's prophecy are are dead anyway. No, in fact, about 50 years or so after Zephaniah preached this message, the day of the Lord happened. The, The great enemy of Israel, Babylon, attacked Judah, destroyed it. It ransacked the whole city, took the inhabitants captive. And this day was partially fulfilled in 586 B.C. But the day of the Lord is also still future. It will include the, the destruction of all life on earth. The fish, the animals, the birds, the earth itself, all humans, all inhabitants. And that has not happened yet. But it will one day. So is there any way for Judah to avoid this day of the Lord? For them to, to be delivered, to be preserved? Let's keep reading. Zephaniah 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame. Before the decree takes effect, the day passes like the chaff. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord. All you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances, seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah calls Judah, the nation without shame, and calls them to seek him. Seek righteousness. Seek humility to repent of their sins and and turn back to God. And what will happen if they're repentant, if they seek the Lord, they desire to please him? He will protect them from his wrath. He will hide them away while he pours out his wrath on the day of the Lord. Then the next part of this prophecy is, is directed towards the nations that surround Judah, to the north, south, east, and west. It's because they don't believe in God. They're evil to God's people. They oppress God's people. They profane God's holy name. Zephaniah 2, 4. For Gaza will be abandoned in Ashkelon uh, desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites, The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. And I will destroy you so that there will be no inhabitant. So the seacoast will be pastures with caves for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They will pasture on it. In the houses of Ashkelon, they will lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will care for them and restore their fortune. Notice, in verse 7, God's wrath against the surrounding pagan nation's sin is going to benefit everyone who believes in the nation Judah, the remnant of Judah. The pagan nations will be destroyed so that God's people can live there. 
God is faithful to care for his faithful ones, for everyone who believes in him, even while he's punishing sin and enacting his righteous judgment against sin. And the warning of wrath continues against these unbelieving nations in Zephaniah 2, verse 8. I have heard the taunting of Moab and the revilings of the son of Ammon, with which they have taunted my people, and become arrogant against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Surely Moab will become like Sodom and the sons of Ammon like Gomorrah, a place possessed by nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The remnant of my people will plunder them and the remainder of my nation will inherit them. This they will have in return for their pride because they have taunted and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrifying to them he will starve all the gods of the earth, and all the coastlands of the nations will bow down to him, everyone from his own place. You also, O Ethiopians, will be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, parched like the wilderness. Flocks will lie down in her midst, all beasts which range in herds. Both the pelican and the hedgehog will lodge in the tops of her pillars. Birds will sing in the window. Desolation will be on the threshold. For he has laid bare the cedar work. This is the exultant city which dwells securely, who says in their heart, I am. There is no one besides me. How she has become a desolation, a resting place for beasts. Everyone who passes by her will hiss and wave his hand in contempt. God continues to warn the world outside of Judah that he will punish them for their sin, for their unbelief. He is the living God who cares deeply about sin, about pride, about haughtiness. These nations think they're self-existent. They're putting themselves on the level of God himself. They're incredibly prideful. So God will flatten them. He'll make them uninhabitable. And it would be shocking to hear this, to be the original audience and, and hear this message. It'd be like hearing that downtown Kansas City is going to be leveled and flattened in a great judgment against sin. It'll be destroyed and it'll be overgrown with weeds and wild beasts are going to live in the rubble of all the tall buildings or what's left of them because no humans are left alive there. That's the, the shock and awe nature of what, what Zephaniah is saying, what God is saying through Zephaniah. And then he turns his focus back to Jerusalem, the capital city of his nation, of Judah. In 3.1, he says, Woe to her, to Jerusalem, who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. 
Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are in ruins. I have made their streets desolate with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will revere me, accept instruction, so her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up as a witness, indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. God says in this section that if the capital city of his people, if Jerusalem is prideful, is, is wicked, is unjust, if Jerusalem's not acting like worshipers of Yahweh, then what about the rest of the world? How could the world ever believe in God? They're, they're far off. They're far worse. Remember that Jerusalem is where God's temple resides. That's where you would go to offer sacrifices and, and have a relationship with God. God even gave a, a living example. He gave a, a demonstration by punishing the nearby nations for their sins so that Jerusalem could see it and they could repent. But they ignored it. Because of that, God will pour out his wrath on Jerusalem, on the surrounding nations, on the whole planet for sin. Not a single person will escape except those who are righteous. The people who will escape this day of the Lord's wrath are those who are righteous because of their trust in God for their salvation, because of their belief in, in, in Yahweh and in God. Despite Jerusalem's unfaithfulness and their unrighteousness, God has always been faithful. God has always been righteous. And he will always execute perfect justice. Now, in the last section of the book, that's the part we've been waiting for. Finally, the prophet turns the lights back on. He, he takes us out of this dark cave. We're going to be blinded and, and shocked by the bright hope for salvation, the restoration, the, the salvation from sins, the joy and the life with God for, that we get to live for all eternity. And everyone who repents and turns to God for forgiveness will receive this, uh, this hope, this joy, this salvation. So the last section in Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 9. For then I will give to the peoples purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. 
In that day, you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exulting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice, exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts that came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. God himself will live with his people on earth as their king. In the future, on the day of the Lord, God will rejoice with his people. He'll care for them. He'll remove all occasion for, for suffering, for pain. He'll remove all sin. He'll remove all shame. Everyone who believes in God, believes in Jesus as the one true God, as their Savior from their sins, he will have infinite occasion to rejoice, to praise, to worship God on the day of the Lord. The book of Zephaniah is, is rich with theological content about God and his disposition against sin. Significantly, this book paints one of the many brushstrokes in the whole biblical picture of the day of the Lord. Zephaniah describes the day of the Lord as a double-sided coin. It's both a day that's near and a day that's far. There are multiple days of the Lord throughout history. Some aspects of the day of the Lord have already been fulfilled, like we've already said, such as Judah's exile in 586 B.C., or later than that, the destruction of the rebuilt temple in A.D. 70. And in Zephaniah's prophecy, this day, the day of the Lord, is emphasized as near, as God's wrath happening soon, very soon. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Verse 14, 
Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. It's so close you can hear it. So the day of the Lord is near in the sense that it should be expected that it's going to happen soon. Even this very day. For the Israelites in in 630 B.C., the day of the Lord was going to take place soon. They had a near fulfillment of the day of the Lord when, when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. And for us, for Christians here today, the day of the Lord is near because our Savior, because Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's returning soon. But the day of the Lord is also far Elements of the day of the Lord have not happened yet. Haven't happened uh, in 2021 yet. Won't happen for as long as the the Lord tarries. Zephaniah 1, 2. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And jump down to verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be destroyed in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. This global, this cataclysmic event has not happened yet. I think we could all testify that the fact that we're here means it hasn't taken place. There are still elements of the day of the Lord that have yet to be fulfilled. And one day there will be a complete remaking of the earth. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us more about that. So we can think of the day of the Lord this way. Uh, Thomas Schreiner helpfully explains it as that there are days, plural, there are days of the Lord before the final day of the Lord. There are Lowercase d, days of the Lord before the capital D, day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has events of wrath that have been fulfilled. And there's also future elements of wrath and salvation that have yet to be fulfilled. So the day of the Lord is both near and far. But it's also a day of wrath and salvation. Zephaniah 1 15, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress and destruction, desolation, darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness. God will pour out his wrath against sin on the day of the Lord. And I don't imagine hearing that as a surprise for any of us in this room, considering we just read two and a half chapters where Zephaniah says that over and over again. That God has decreed wrath against Judah and the surrounding nations for their sin. But the day of the Lord, both, both near and far, is a day of salvation as well. It's a day of hope and joy and rejoicing for everyone who loves God. For everyone who is saved. For everyone who is born again. And the last section of the book is about that salvation. It's about the salvation that that everyone who believes in, in the original context, the believing remnant of Judah, along with worshipers all throughout the world, will receive this salvation on the day of the Lord.
Zephaniah 3, 9. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. Verse 11. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. On the day of the Lord, all Christians, everyone who has been born again, will receive salvation. They'll worship God in person. No more sin, no more fear of condemnation. Today of rejoicing and in the final culmination of the salvation we've been longing for. So the day of the Lord is, is near and far. It's a day of wrath and salvation. And the second major theme in Zephaniah is the specificity in which God calls out the sins that he's going to bring his wrath upon in the day of the Lord. And the sins identified are, are found in the pagan nations outside of Israel. They're found inside Judah itself. They're found in Jerusalem, the capital city. They're found in the political leaders. They're found even in the priests who are supposed to lead the nation in, in worship of God. The whole world is indicted with each stroke of, of condemnation in Zephaniah's sermon. And those who are singled out as, as the recipients of God's wrath are idolatrous. They're stagnant in spirit. They believe that God doesn't care if our deeds are evil or good. They oppress God's people. They're prideful. They're arrogant against God. They believe that they're self-sufficient. They're self-existent. They don't have any creator or anyone who makes them. Their heart, their heart exalts in their revelry. They're rebellious. They're covetous. They are unteachable. They don't truly believe that God is trustworthy, that he can do good. And their leadership is derelict. They prey upon the people that they're supposed to serve. And the summary statement for everyone who can expect God's wrath on the day of the Lord is in chapter 3, verse 7, the last half of it. They were eager to corrupt all their deeds. So those who are not lovers of God, worshipers of God, people who do not love God, they're described like this. Eager to corrupt all their deeds. Just, just reading through this list of the sins Zephaniah points out uh, convicts me. Like there's, these are sins of our heart. These are sins that we can actually do, our sins of action. Which of these sins resides in my own heart? Which of these sins resides in your heart? What an opportunity we have this morning, right now, to heed Zephaniah's message, to be aware of our sin, to, to turn from it, to repent while there's still time. And the third significant lesson in Zephaniah is that the Lord is always faithful. He's always righteous. Even and maybe especially when we're not faithful, when we're not righteous. In an overwhelmingly fire and brimstone type book, 
there are beacons of hope strategically placed all throughout, guiding us to this bright, this joyful day of salvation on the day of the Lord. God will finally and completely save his people on that day. People all throughout the world were sinning against God. They were blaspheming his name. They were saying that, that they're self-existent, that they have no creator, that they're on the same level as God. And even most painfully, his beloved people, his covenant nation, Judah, rebelled and sinned against him in, in an egregious manner, as we've already talked about. And yet God is still merciful. He offers them the chance to repent. He doesn't respond out of sinful anger, out of spite. He acts according to his holy character, always according to his righteousness and justness and and mercy. Chapter 2, verse 3, he tells Judah, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Those who repent will be protected from the wrath that they've earned. Even though Judah had broken their covenant with God, and even though God was going to pour out his wrath on the surrounding nations, God still had plans to protect, to bless, to care for his people. In 2.7, God said he's going to destroy the coastal cities so that he can leave the, the remaining parts of the cities for his worshipers, for the group of Israelites who worship him. And then in verse 9, Moab and Ammon will be plundered by the remnant of Israel to become their inheritance. So while God is punishing sin and unbelief, he's still faithful to protect, to bless, to care for his people, to bless his covenant people. Then in 3.5, God says that while Jerusalem is still living unrighteously, God's still righteous. He will never act unjustly. He will never act contrary to his character. In great contrast to Judah, who failed to live up to God's commands, God will never fail. God will always live up to his expectations. And most incredibly, the, the last portion of the book is just brimming, it's overflowing with God's faithfulness with his righteousness, with his mercy. After he cleanses the world from from sin, from iniquity, he will save, he'll bless everyone that believes in him, and he will perfectly rule over them here on earth as their king. He will fulfill the covenant promises that he made long ago to Abraham and to David and give a permanent land to the nation of Israel and, and be their perfect king. And amazingly, we as Gentiles here in this room get to be a part of this exciting, this amazing future. We get to worship God and his kingdom in person for eternity. So what can we do? What can we do about Zephaniah's message? How can we take this away? What are some applications? The first application is, if you don't love God... The day of the Lord will be a terrifying day. It will be a day that you pay the penalty for your own sins. 
please, if you're in this room, repent. Believe in God. There is a day coming when it will be too late to repent from your sins, to worship Jesus Christ, to believe in him that his atoning death paid the penalty for your own sins. That day is near. Do not delay. And listen, our God is gracious. He is ready to forgive anyone who will turn to him. Anyone who will trust their life in his hands. Psalm 86, 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. So repent and believe if you don't love God. Second, if you do love God, the day of the Lord will be a day of rejoicing, a day of excitement, a day of salvation. God himself will live with you on earth. He will take away all occasion for you to fear. He'll take away your sin. You'll have no more shame. You'll have no more regrets. You'll be able to praise him in person without feeling the weight of your unworthiness because he'll cover you in Christ's worthiness, Christ's righteousness. Everything in this world will be holy and God will rejoice over what he did for you with incredible shouts of joy. And third, sharpen your understanding of both God's wrath and his mercy. God certainly will display his wrath against sin. Don't be like the Jerusalem citizens. They're stagnant in spirit. They lulled themselves into thinking that God's not going to do good or evil. He's, he's amoral. He's lazy. No, that's, that's not true. God hates sin. God loves righteousness. God's also merciful. He withholds his wrath from anyone who turns from their sin, who turns to him. So guard yourself against having a small, a deficient view of God's wrath, of God's mercy. There is no sin that, that we commit that God doesn't care about. But there's also no sin that God doesn't have enough grace to cover. That Jesus Christ's atoning death cannot cover. God has wrath against sin, but God has enough mercy to forgive. And last... Zephaniah paints a clear picture for the person who will face God's wrath on the day of the Lord. Don't be like that person. Don't think that God doesn't care if you do good or evil. Don't take advantage of other people. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be rebellious. Don't think that you don't have a creator. Don't be unteachable. Instead, seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Obey God's commandments and prosper on the day of the Lord's salvation.